Welcome to another week on Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem Show, Sunday Nights. Originally a Zoom interactive platform where we discuss real life scenarios with real live people. Thank you. Hi everybody, welcome to tonight's share. Thank you all for joining. Tonight's share is share number 68 on the Let's Get Real program with Coach Menachem Bernfeld. I want to first start off with thanking everybody for uh, promoting it. I sort of today on so many places, it's on, it's on so many WhatsApp statuses. And I start off every week with first thanking our people that come every week and for people that promote it and put on the WhatsApp statuses, they email it around and they tell people about it. Like I say every week, if you can't make it that week, it's fine. You can watch it later, but at least, you know, let people know about it. People are, you know, getting so much tremendous physic and knowledge. And it's a tremendous, tremendous thing. And we really appreciate that. All that that are watching the replay on YouTube, please click on please click on the on the like button and subscribe to Coach Menachem so you can get as we upload every week the video you can get it right away and you know about it. I want to start off first with thanking our advertising sponsors for always promoting us. First, I want to thank with Lakewood Scoop for always promoting us here in Lakewood Era Koydish, our home base, and uh, putting it out every week. A special thank you to Ravi and Yaniv from Kazak, Ravi Amov who's on the share right now. We love you. Thank you for all your help and always helping me get. So many speakers and promoting us, we really appreciate it. And everybody should know Dr. David Liebman has a special Saturday night series with uh, Chazak. Um, we'll talk about that soon. We can talk about it at the end. And I want to give a special thank you to Chayla Kaufman and Shmuel Summer from JCN, the Jewish Content Network, for always promoting us on all the digital Jewish platforms. We appreciate that. Again, if anybody's here the first time, every Sunday night at 10 p.m. on this Zoom share, this ID, uh, we have different abundant, different topics, different therapists. We try to really cover ground. We have a lot of uh, big topics coming up and a lot of prominent people coming on. So please stay tuned and join. Next Sunday, August 15th, Arnaya, who's coming on? Tell us. Tell the Oilam. We don't, we, we don't have confirmation as of yet, but uh, we're working on something very big for next week. So I'm not going to announce it prematurely. But as soon as we confirm that we will email it out and text it so everybody will know what's coming on. I will tell you it's going to be an amazing program. It'll be powerful. Please tell everybody to join. Menachem, you know how I know it's going to be good next week? Should I tell you how I know? That's it. Because every week it's good. That's how. So, so you go, you know, you go bust the chazaka here. So tell everybody to come. Tonight we have the schuss in the honor of having the world famous Dr. David Lieberman. Since we started this year, in tonight's 68, I've probably heard about once a week for the last 68 weeks, you got to get Dr. Lieberman on. So uh, we finally, you know, it took 68 weeks, but we got him. We locked him down. Thank you for coming here. We really appreciate that. Let's first start off with some opening words from our host, Coach Menachem Bernfeld. Open it up. Thank you. Thank you very much. Welcome, everyone, to another show. Let's get real with Coach Menachem. I would like to welcome all of you, um, wherever you are, whether you're still in the country or on the way back, or maybe you started yeshiva already, or whatever it is. And I want to wish everyone a good Chodesh Elul. And I know when, when I mention the word Elul, everybody has their own thoughts and ideas, which we know everybody comes with whatever they, the, the knowledge that they have about Chodesh Elul. So in Mitzvah Hashem, we should, have a, it should be a good Chodesh, and it should, it should prepare us for Chodesh Tishrei in Mitzvah Hashem, and everybody should get what they need in Mitzvah Hashem. Tonight, the topic tonight is how to deal with difficult people and personalities. The truth is that it, it is a very, very 
uh, no, number one vague and it's uh, the spectrum is huge how to deal with difficult people and I'm sure everybody's thinking about somebody else how to deal with the other and sometimes it is Kadai to think maybe um, it has to do something with the way I look at things maybe I have to see things differently but before we start we need to be a little bit sensitive to understand everybody everybody's point of view whether it's mine or, or the other but the truth is the goal tonight is to get to a better place for both of us Where, whatever relationship it is to to get to the right place to a better place so mitzvah Shem, you should be able to do the right thing and uh, it could be tricky sometimes if it's a real diagnosis and sometimes by helping it could be um, doing harm and that's why it is very very important to be able to talk to somebody who knows who has the knowledge, how, the, how, how it works, so you can take the right steps. But I want to talk for a minute, even not diagnosis, regular relationships. The truth is, when you're talking to somebody, for example, in shul, and you're having a good time, it's back and forth, if, if you don't need anything to come out of it, no, there's no tachlis, there's no purpose, it's just talking, then you usually get along. Why not? He says red, they say blue, and you go back and forth. What's the big deal? It only gets, becomes a problem when at the end of the day, you have to work things out. For example, the relationship, let's say a marriage or partners, family members, parents, kids, that at the end of the day, you have to work things out. You can't just walk home. And that's where you realize, wait a second, how do I work? How do they work? It is working out. It's not working out. And that's when you need sometimes the guidance to help how to when it doesn't work. Maybe it's something that I can do or not always can we do something or maybe make it a little bit easier. But hopefully tonight, Mr. Shem, uh, it's a big schos to have with us, Dr. David Lieberman, which from uh, all his lectures and experience, in human nature overall can help us a little bit and guide us to understand and give us the practice, some practical tips in some of the situations which, which we'll be able to cover tonight in Mitzvah Shem. Thank you so much. Thank you, Coach Menachem. Beautiful opening. Okay, let's get us started with tonight. Again, tonight's share is sponsored by Recovery at the Crossroads. Recovery at the Crossroads is the only in inpatient treatment center in the tri-state area. They are a licensed co-occurring treatment facility, which means they are licensed to not only treat, treat, treat substance abuse, but also any other underlying mental health conditions such as anxiety, depression, or trauma. They've been around for 15 plus years and have helped many from families and put tremendous effort in working together with the families. If you or anyone you know is struggling with an addiction, feel free to reach out to them at 888-466-5950. That's 888-466-5950. Again, we mentioned last week, I just want to mention again, uh, Menachem, Coach Menachem is officially coming out with season one, the book. It's a little uh, recap of all the shiurim. Um, so it's going to, you know, come out about six to eight months. We're writing, you know, a little take-home material from every share because every share itself is almost like a mini book. So, um, especially tonight, it's probably going to be like three volumes. Probably have an encyclopedia with Dr. David, but you know, it's not a big deal. He wrote so many books, but, uh, if anybody wants to be part of it or help or sponsor a share, please reach out to coachmanacham at gmail.com. Um, would be very much appreciated. Again, tonight, we're going to be talking about dealing with difficult people, personalities. Um, we got a tremendous amount of emails. I'm getting emails currently now. So this is a big topic. As Menachem said, of course, we're not talking about ourselves. We're talking about other people, right? Because we're all good. We're perfect. 
So um, it's it's there. There's there's a lot of like David and I spoke a little bit before. This is a big subject, and it it you know covers. It starts from just basic you know just you know communication skills and dealing with regular relationships, and it keeps on scaling up to more and more complex issues. So we're gonna try to cover a lot of it. I don't think it's a one-nighter, but we're gonna try to cover as much ground again, like we spoke about before. Tonight is not a specific answer. It's it's just the general topics, ideas, concepts. So we should all. Uh, Get, you know, from here, you take the, the information and try to either work on it or go to a rub or go to a therapist and take it to the next level if you feel that it's necessary. Dr. David, I'm going to read your bio and then the floor is yours, okay? Uh, Dr. David J. Lieberman, PhD, is an award-winning author and internationally recognized leader in the fields of human behavior and interpersonal relationships. His 12 books, which have been translated into 26 languages, including two New York Times bestsellers, have sold millions of copies worldwide. Dr. Lieberman's works have been featured in hundreds of major publications, and he's appeared as a frequent guest expert on national media outlets, such as Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem. His latest <laughs> book, Never Get Angry Again, uh, by St. Martin's Press in 2018, is available at bookstores nationwide. Visit drdavidlieberman.com for more information on the Torah anytime to enjoy hundreds of his video lectures. And uh, Dr. David Lieberman, again, it's an honor to have you here tonight. As I said, we had at least 68 requests. So thank you for fulfilling them. And the floor is yours. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to discuss and your always pleasant professional persistence. Uh, and I'm glad we're able to work this out tonight. I'm looking forward to delving in. As Coach Menachem said, that we're, we're not diagnosing people here. We're going to speak in broad strokes. Having said that, we're going to do our best to offer specific talkless bottom line answers uh, and ideas and insights that can help people to move forward in their lives and their relationships. One of the reasons why I like to speak on relationships so much is because I find that, as you may have as well, that the quality of a person's emotional health and the quality of the relationships go hand in hand. And if you think about the people who are generally healthy, they generally have good relationships and people who are not so healthy, the relationships are not so solid. Now, of course, you have a chicken and the egg going on there, but suffice it to say, if we were able to optimize the relationships in our lives, particularly with difficult people, we would find the quality of our own emotional health to be vastly improved. I mean, just think about for a second, if all the difficult people were suddenly easier to deal with, you know, we'd wake up in the morning, we got, my gosh, I got nothing to do. <laughs> so uh, you know, the ability to be able to optimize the relationship with all types of people and to navigate difficult personalities and politics and complex personalities and people uh, is undeniably just very uh, valuable to our own emotional well-being. And we're going to see that sometimes the application of just a basic strategy, just a different way of talking to somebody, even if they quote unquote have a personal personality disorder, uh, it can be very, very effective. And so I'm looking forward to delving into that. I'll just share with you a, a brief uh, story and then we'll cover a couple basic ideas and then we'll get into some real good, real life, real time questions. I uh, speaking in South Africa, Johannesburg, beautiful community, must have about four or 5,000 people, it's a great uh, event. And I asked the following question, I happened to be on difficult people. And I said, is there anyone here who doesn't have a difficult person in their lives? Of course, one woman raises her hand in the back. So, you know, it wasn't my finest moment, but I, I just couldn't believe, I said, really? So all of a sudden the spotlight goes on her and she's answering back, but it gets filtered like being telephone through, you know, four rows of people, you know, a hundred yards, hundred yards, hundred yards and so on. So she, hey, we're going back and forth a little bit longer than it should have been. And in the days, it turns out, she says she doesn't have a single difficult person in her life. So after the talk, she comes over, she says, Dr. Lieberman, I really enjoy this and that. I have a question. I said, 
happy to answer your question. You just got to do me one favor. How is it that you've managed not to have a single difficult person in your life? She said, Dr. Lieberman, it's very easy. I cut them all out of my life. I'm like, oh, very nice. Okay, in front of 5,000 people, she doesn't have a difficult person, but yeah. All right, Lamaisa is, of course, you can do that. You can cut people out of your life and say goodbye. That doesn't help us. Something that I don't know if we'll get into now, but we'll, we'll uh, just sort of a, a taste of the idea that our relationships with people, the reason why they go to the core of our emotional health is because they go to the core of our spiritual health. We have halakhic responsibilities and obligations to our parents that we don't have to the next door neighbor, to our siblings that we don't have to the mailman. You know, when it comes to immediate family, the dynamics are different because they affect us in a very, very different way. Having said that, when necessary, when you've got to take a step back from some of, of your closer relationships and it's done under the guidance of, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a competent rub, um, the way that we disengage makes all the difference in the world. If you do it from a place of anger, do it from a place of frustration, resentment, we're left feeling a little bit empty, a little bit cracked. But when you do it responsibly, something that Mr. Shem will get into, you're going to find you remain whole, even though the relationship itself is insolvent. So with that Hagdama, let's just get into a couple of just broad stroke ideas about how to maximize relationships with all types of people. Number one is this. It's important to really own what we already understand. And that is that everyone in our lives is custom made, perfectly crafted, tailor made for our good and for our growth. Everyone who comes in and through our lives is there for us. And when we begin to ask ourselves the right questions, we'll begin to get ourselves, we can begin to get the right answer. But sometimes we bemoan these emotional vampires. And, you know, we talk to Hashem like we're talking to the mafia. It's like, Hashem, you know this guy over here? You know, I do so much better if he weren't around. Maybe, you know, he should fall, slip, you didn't hear from me. Just, you know, but what we fail to realize is everyone in our lives is here for our good and for our growth which is why you may have a difficult kind of person and they just go up and they leave or they retire or something happens. But then somewhere in other, like in Shemayim, they're just stamping out these types of people as they come through your life. And the reason is because you're not there to fix them. You're not there to cure them. You're not there to educate them. You're not there to change them. They're in your life for you. And that's the first thing that we really have to own is to ask ourselves, what am I supposed to learn from this message? When we continue to bemoan our fate and we say rail against the injustice, it's not right, it's not fair. Why, why, why? We're asking ourselves the wrong question. We're not even looking at what's going on. What are we supposed to learn? What's the message for us? So that's number one. Two is this. Just because somebody does something wrong doesn't mean that you have to get angry as a response. We, I hope we can get, we have the time to get into this. I know that the show goes to four in the morning or something like that. I don't know how you guys do it, but uh, I'm just, I'm not, I don't know how long I'll last, but, uh, but we personalize everything. We are so super sensitive and we take, make everything about us. And the degree to which we do that, we're going to find ourselves much more enmeshed, much more frustrated, much more resentful from difficult people. Because no matter how somebody treats you, no matter what they do, no matter what they say, if you are able to recognize it as their stuff and not yours, you remain completely problem free. It's not your problem. You've got enough of your own. You don't have to take this guy's on. But here's the thing. You're in a conversation with somebody who's being bombastic, belligerent, just rude, impolite. You have a choice. You can either focus on their pain or your pain. If you focus on their pain, 
then you can empathize, validate all those types of good things maybe we'll get into. But if you focused on your pain, how dare they do this? How can they speak to this and so on? Now you're behind the eight ball. And it's going to be very, very difficult for you to, 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 what is it required to empathize? It means I've got to lift myself out of my shoes and walk through yours. If I'm ensconced in my own perspective, if I'm, I know I'm mixing metaphors here, but if I'm wearing my own glasses, I can't take them off and put yours on. In order to see through someone else's lens, you've got to take off your own glasses. But a person who's egocentric and they're focused on their own stuff and take everything personally will have a very, very difficult time focusing on other people's uh, perspective. So then, the degree to which we're able to not personalize everything and not get upset because somebody does something we don't like frees us emotionally, it frees us spiritually, and quite frankly, if you look at the research, it frees us physically. The, I, I, I don't believe we're going to have a fraction of the time we need to explore the connection between physiological, physical, somatic symptoms of the body and emotional illness, and emotional illness connected to not necessarily something uh, neurologically wrong, not necessarily connected to chemistry or biology, rather connected to a problem living and responding in healthy relationships. Because invariably you connect the dots that people who have difficult relationships are going to find themselves in uh, that manifesting to varying degrees to different emotional disorders. You know, people wear on us and our own emotional health then is going to become fragmented, it's going to wear, and that then is gonna bleed into our physical health. And you're gonna see that by being able to sort of seal up the breach in our relationships and improve how we navigate and deal with difficult people, we can improve, as we open by saying, the quality of our own emotional health and doing that, again, just improve vastly the degree of whatever physical symptoms that may be exacerbated by the stress and the strain of dealing with these types of people. Okay, there's so much to unpack here. Let me just finish this point and then I guess maybe we'll get to some questions. And that is that just because somebody does something wrong doesn't mean you have to get angry as a result. There's a saying in biology that cells are fired together, wired together. What that time means is every time there's in the brain, you've got these neurons, these brain cells, and the connection is dendrites. Every time you've got a connection uh, that gets reinforced, it gets stronger and stronger and, are, and the cause and effect becomes reinforced. Meaning every time somebody does something that you don't like or something happens and you respond, you increase that connection, which is why some people have a hair trigger response to getting angry, frustrated and so on because they've wired themselves physiologically. When you're able to not respond with anger, doesn't mean you suppress it or repress it, different conversation. What it does mean is that you don't unleash a torrent of anger in an unhealthy way you're able to diminish that connection and to some degree sort of replace that neural network. And you're gonna find it easier and easier. And what Chazal teach us is what the research shows thousands of years later, that it takes no longer than 21 to 30 days to rewire our physiology to be able to respond differently. So, you know, when we choose not to become upset because somebody does something we don't like, it's not just in the moment that we benefit ourselves, we're actually tipping physiology and rewiring our ability to respond more effectively each and every time. Okay, I can go on for a long time, but we'll go ahead and maybe take some questions, or you can tell me what direction you want to move in. I thought that was it. You answered all the questions. We're good to go. Okay, have a great night. Good to be with you. <laughs> okay, let's do a poll. We'll take, take a minute break, and then um, we have a lot of live questions already, and, um, and we have a bunch of questions that came in, so we'll try to really cover ground. Okay, again, anybody who's here tonight, we have this close and the honor of having Dr. David Lieberman. He's world famous, tremendous author, tremendous speaker. 
please turn on your video. It's interactive. We want the live questions and we want to make it, you know, beneficial for everybody. Um, so let's do that. And anybody has a question, please text Usher Parnas over here on the screen. And um, again, live questions go first. Let's try to, you know, go to that. And if you have a question, text it and we'll try to get to it. Okay. Um, everybody see the poll? David, Dr. David, you see the poll? I do not, but that's, I see it right now. Thank you. Hold on one second. Hold on, hold on. It won't fall. Here we go. Okay. Okay. Here's the poll. In disagreements with your spouse, do you feel you're right? Three options. Okay. Most of the time, half the time, or really. So when you have a disagreement with your spouse, do you feel that you're right most of the time, half the time, or really? Second question is, how much do you think you contribute to other people's actions towards you? Option A, greatly. Do you feel like tremendous amount how you act to people, that's how they act back toward you? Somewhat or not so much? Everybody, please answer these two questions. Let's get a feeling from the crowd. Let's see what we're dealing with over here. Five seconds. Okay, I'm gonna stop the poll and we're gonna share with everybody. Okay, you ready? Five, four, three, two, one. Okay, in disagreements with your spouse, do you feel you are right? 42% of the people here tonight feel they're right most of the time. 51% of people feel half the time. Only 7% of people feel that they're really right when they fight with their spouse. Very confident crowd over here. Number two. How do you think you contribute to, up towards other people's action towards you? 41% of people say greatly. 51% of people say somewhat. 9% of people say not so much. Okay. Uh, I think it was an interesting poll. Dr. David, any, any comment on the poll? Yeah, you, you know, it's so interesting. It's like, you know, you ask 90% of the people consider themselves better than average drivers, right? Which statistically is just not possible. So in the first question, also in this, you know, you see that, um, you know, we're inclined to presume that, uh, you know, we're not necessarily the cause, we're not necessarily uh, responsible in any way for somebody else's behavior. Now, the truth is, and this is something that I, I, I hammer in a lot of my talks, and that is that we're responsible for our own emotions, we're responsible for ourselves and so on, but that doesn't mean that we don't make it easy or hard for other people to behave in a certain way. We don't have responsibilities for people, but to them. Meaning that the, everyone, again, everyone's responsible themselves, but the degree to which we influence other people's behavior, I think most people would be shocked because quite frankly, you're going to see that uh, by being able to relate to difficult people and personalities in a different way, you're going to produce a change in their behavior. Certainly you're going to get it. Uh, it's going to affect you differently and you'll have a different response, but you can actually change their behavior. We talk a lot, you can't change other people and so on. I, you know, it makes for a nice bumper sticker slogan, but the truth is we do change other people and we change how they interact with us. We don't control them, but we do have a great deal of influence over how they behave. And if you're able to take a step back and look at the psychology and see why they're doing what they're doing and then simply um, address it and navigate their own sort of psyche and feed them and give them what they want, they won't lash out in a way that's causing the type of friction that it does. Okay, powerful. Um, okay, we have a lot of live questions. Let's start with a live one, all right? Okay, you're, you're on. Hi, Dr. Lieberman. Thank you for taking my question. Sure. 
in your introduction, you already gave away like half the answer you read before I even asked the question, but I think I'll ask it in a, in a way to sum it up to, to the other part of, of the question. Basically throughout my journey in life, everyone's journey in life with difficult people, something I was able to discover is that a lot of the people that act, you know, in a difficult manner towards me, I realize that they sometimes have major challenges in their life and they really, you know, that's not, they're really good people. But sometimes I don't want to say the word diagnosis because I think only Hashem knows everyone's diagnosis. And, but, uh, you know, some of them told me they have this, they have that. And because of that, once I knew about it, I was able to emphasize more on, on them. And, you know, I, I didn't really take it to heart. And uh, people where I know, clearly, they don't have challenges. And sometimes I know they did something that bothered me. Those people, I could actually confront and tell them what in the nice way. I take classes how to do it. But um, this bothered me. And they, I know that they will understand and that they will stop. You know, they understand. They stop. The first to the former group, though, I realize as much as I will tell them if they have their major challenge or what we would call diagnosis, I can help telling them. That's why I just emphasize and it makes me happy. The big question is that in life, a lot, a lot of people are somewhere I don't know. I feel it's somewhere in between. In society, they're considered, you know, real uh, special Kashua people, you would say. But uh, something tells me they might really have a challenge. And I don't want to just emphasize with someone who has what you would call bad midas, who should be working on themselves. But you know, maybe at the same time, they have a challenge. Is there just any which way to, from an outside, just a, a general broad way to see if someone's actually going through a major challenge and be able to emphasize? Or Yeah, what a beautiful, thoughtful question. Lovely. So first, it's like this. You know, I, I don't believe that most of... Yeah. Recap the question, sir. Sure. And it was, is there a way somebody's uh, being disrespectful, they're being rude and so on. Is there a way to tell whether or not they're simply just a, a not a nice person, bad meatos, or they're going through something difficult, in which case we might cut them more slack, right? Legitimate question. Very, very fair. So it's like this. And there's a lot to unpack here. And I know, by the way, I speak very, very quickly. If you need me to slow down, just uh, say slow down. How's that for a code word? Okay. So, you know, we don't realize that the battles that people wage in their lives and in their thoughts. And, again, and the proof is that imagine if everyone knew what you were going through sometimes, how differently they would treat you, <laughs> how nicer, how much more nicely they would treat you. If they really knew the struggles that you faced, the battles that you wage, sometimes to get up in bed in the morning, sometimes to deal with a difficult uh, situation, a, a health issue, a financial, whatever it is. At different points, if people really know what's going on, even when you've got no external stressors, just your own demons that come out, people would treat you extraordinarily well. So the truth is, everyone's got their stuff. The fact that you don't see it doesn't mean that it's not there. And sometimes the harder the outside, the gruff, the, the, the more you know, uh, gruff the exterior, the softer the inside. Sort of you know, nature's way like an egg. You've got the soft inside, the hard shell. It's a way of protecting itself. So sometimes the people who most need our love and affection and kindness are the ones who are most difficult to give it to because they present in that way. But let me give you an example, a real life uh, uh, muscle, and then we'll go ahead and, and, and get to the question. That's imagine you're walking along and someone bangs into you. 
right? And you, you turn around bruised and just, just frightened. And you realize that somebody who's visually impaired simply trying to get by. They couldn't see you. All your anger, all your frustration, all your animosity just simply dissipates. You've still got the bruise, but your focus is no longer on yourself. No, no longer focused on how dare they? How could they do this? Um, on, on your own feeling of lack of respect, you don't personalize it anymore because you see their fragility, you see their helplessness, you see it on the outside. So then when somebody is being impolite, they're being rude and so on, we talk about bad mitos like it's something that simply exists in a vacuum. It uh, is unfortunately the consequence of a person who is not as emotionally solvent as they should be. Because if a person had high, let me just sketch out the psychology and then we'll see how this uh, unfolds. And if you get lost, money back guarantee on this, okay? So the more a person is healthy, the more they love themselves, the greater their self-esteem, the, the more they love and accept who they are and feel worthy of good things in life. They have high self-esteem. The small, the ego. As a person's feelings of self-worth diminish, the ego now engages to compensate for the feelings of guilt, inferiority, and shame, and so on. It's the ego that makes everything difficult. It's the ego that makes people literally egocentric. Everything revolves around them. They take things personally. They are controlling. They are argumentative. They can never be wrong. There's a, there's a, there's a whole litany of things that go into an egocentric personality. So when a person exhibits bad mitos, it's not simply that they are perfectly happy-go-lucky, everything is fine in their life, and they do this. It is a consequence of a deep pervasive degree of feelings of inferiority. No matter how they try to mask it, no matter how they try to cover it up and project and portray a different image, they are suffering on the inside. So the answer to your question is that when somebody is not, see, you give love, you give respect. Rev. Noah Weinberg, that's how I used to say, if you don't love you, don't love me. Because if a person can't treat you respectfully, it's not on you, it's on them. And if you walk out or leave this year with nothing else other than this, I say it would be worth it. And that is how people treat you is a reflection of their own self-worth. It speaks volumes of their own emotional health, but says nothing about you. You treat other people based on your capacity to give. If you can't give, you simply are not, if you don't feel it yourself, if you don't have that self-respect, that self-love, you can't give it over. You can control, you can try to connect, but very, very difficult. So ultimately the person who is not nice to you, you can assume that they're suffering on the inside. So, so you're saying that they should look at, we will benefit of looking at everybody as if they're going through a challenge and they don't mean it. Uh, look, for, uh, for sure. But, but there should, should be yeah. some open communication to some degree. Of, of course, look, the fact that somebody is, is is treating you disrespectfully and you're not taking it personally has nothing to do with the fact that you're not able to express yourself. But here's the thing, Coach Benachem, if you're in a situation with somebody and you're taking it personally, you get defensive, what happens is you're going to get angry, you're going to get upset. There are different ways anger manifests. Some people overtly, some people passively, some people repress it and so on. Different ways to manifest, but no one ever walked away from a conversation and said, you know what, I wish I would have gotten angrier. I would have been able to handle myself so much better. Right. When we become angry, because I'll explain, we lose our DOS. We're not able to see the situ situation clearly. Uh, physiologically, by the way, it's fascinating. When a person becomes angry, the number of transmitters and neurotransmitters and, and chemicals that get released, one of them is something called cortisol. And that actually interferes with the prefrontal cortex, the part of the brain responsible for executive functioning. We literally become dumb when we become angry. So uh, when somebody is treating you in that way, when you're able to say, hey, look, this is their problem. It's not mine. 
at the same time, I am now able to empathize with them. I can validate. And if I choose to, I can express to them in a very open, honest, non-defensive, objective, clear, calm way that this doesn't work for me. Don't like being screamed at. Don't like be, this doesn't work. But if I come into it focused on my own pain, my own anger, and can't see through the lens, I'm not going to be able to effectively, effectively express how I feel and assert myself in a healthy way. Does that Beautiful. make sense? Yeah. Okay. So now I'll, I'll just... The question that came in, more practical. My seven-year-old daughter has been caught taking Nash and then lying about it afterwards. So I confront her and tell her all, uh, tell her in this house, we don't do that that way, but, but it only makes it, what makes it worse. How can I confront her in a more healthy and productive, with a productive conversation? I told my wife, only personal questions she should ask me. She shouldn't call the show in for that. She really just got to, okay. Um, so look, when we want to give to Chaka, you want to give rebuke, uh, if you can give it, as we were just talking about, and, and express yourself in an open, honest way, you feel a person can hear it, amazing. But what happens is, particularly if you've got people who may be a little bit sensitive, uh, how they respond to that is going to dictate, really, your ability to be able to express yourself in a way that they can hear. Meaning that you've got to cater what you say to their capacity to hear it. Because you can have the, you know, the most logical, rational, clear argument, but if the other person becomes defensive, if they just shut down, if they stonewall, or they become viscerally uh, 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 aggressive and attack, the conversation obviously goes nowhere. So in a situation like this, particularly with a young child, but you can extrapolate to any relationship, personal or professional, and that is that the mistake that we make is that we criticize the person when they're doing what we don't want them to do. So in a case like this, the mother would typically, the father, whomever is asked the question, would typically sit the child down and say, uh, you know, bracha, we told you before, when you take cookies, when you do this and you lie about it, it's important to be, and we give a whole mercy schmooze. The entire time that child, whomever it is, is thinking three things and none of them good. Number one is they're angry with you, right? You're making them feel bad. Number two is they're ashamed of themselves. And they're angry with themselves, also not good. But number three, the most injurious, they're now rationalizing all the reasons as to why it is what they did is okay. Because nobody wants to feel, it creates what we call, many of you are familiar with cognitive dissonance, we're holding two dissonant, two different beliefs. One is I wanna see myself as a good person. On the other hand, someone's yelling at me, telling I'm not doing what's right. Something has to give. Now, once the ego engages, it has a lot of weapons in its tool belt. It, it's going to justify, rationalize, minimize, blame. It'll do whatever it can to avoid feeling, feeling that sting, uh, sting of conscience. So when you charge that with negativity, you're very, it's going to be very unproductive, uh, uh, unproductive. Better, whenever that person does what you want them to do, that's the time where you say, wow. I'm so proud of you that, you know, that she could have walked by the cookie jar on Yum Kipper and that's why she ate the cookie. Doesn't make a difference. That's when you sit her down and say, I'm, this is so amazing. Now that entire 10 minute schmooze, three things are happening. She's loving you, the child, whomever it is, you're making them feel great. You're talking about how honest and ehrlich they are. Three is rather than being angry with themselves, you're giving them a self-concept to live up, live up to. There's a whole bunch to talk about here. As you mentioned, I've written a couple of books. I don't recommend them all, by the way, but one I would recommend the book will never get angry again. And it walks through the idea about giving somebody a self-concept, a way of seeing themselves that they want to live up to. And people will go to extraordinary lengths 
to keep that image that you have of them solid and strong. So when you charge that with positivity, you let that person know, wow, that's amazing. But by the way, when it comes to Chinuch, one of the things that can be so destructive and uh, damaging is when a child, a parent negatively labels a child like, oh, there's my lazy bones or there's my you know, late sleep or whatever it is. All you're doing is giving that child an image to live up to. And obviously a very poor one at that. The third thing it does, by the way, in, in, in giving that moment positivity and charging when they get it right is they are now going to have a harder time doing exactly what it is that they shouldn't be doing because they want to make you proud. They want to live up to this expectation. So the answer to the very good question is, how do you get to Chaka to somebody who's very sensitive and can't hear it? Don't make the mistake of doing it when they get it wrong. Rather celebrate when they get it right. Emphasize that. Bring out the meter, the character trait that it exemplifies and put your, your pride and pleasure into that. And you will find that they're much more likely to keep on that path. Amazing. Wow. Okay. We have another live question. You're on. Okay. Hi. Um, so hi. now I kind of, do you hear me? Okay. I can hear you. Great. Thank you. Okay. Super. Okay. Thank you so much for taking my question. A lot of what you just said sort of answers what my question is. Um, but I'm going to ask it anyway, and maybe you can give me some chizuk. Um, okay. When the, you know, everyone has difficult people in their lives, and I have more than one, but the one I'm going to ask you about is my my child, my 13-year-old son, who, you know, I know in the beginning you said how, you know, these people are not, I know you were generalizing that difficult people are not our problem, and, and I'm 100% understanding that, and we work on ourselves, and all, everything you said resonates, and I get it, and I know it. But like, it's, it's a fine line when you're dealing with these difficult people when they're your children, because, you know, um, you know, this child in particular, um, he's, what can I say? I love him to pieces. I really do. And, but he is difficult and shakes up the house and shakes up his classroom and shakes up, you know, the school and shakes up, shakes up. And so, you know, and we've, we've explored every option. It's, it's not, this is not something that started yesterday. This is something that started in kindergarten. He, right. he's, not my, he's not my first child. We've done the medication. We've done the non-medication. We've done the therapy. We've done the non-therapy. So I, I'm kind of asking for chizuk maybe, like because I've recently read wait one too many articles that say, no, there are some people that medication just won't help and therapy just won't help and they are just going to be... And that was, of course, devastating to read about. And I mean, I am curious about your take on this. <laughs> and give okay. me a little hint, maybe. Sure. Would it be okay if I asked you a couple of questions? A hundred percent. Great. Can I assume that your child has been diagnosed with ADHD and ODD? Believe it or not, he is not diagnosed with ADD. He's been tested twice. We're starting the round three of being tested. Um, it's more anxiety. Um, and But I believe it's other stuff. I really, I, 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 okay. I, know, I agree with the anxiety part, but there's some other funky stuff going on. That I just okay. Can't, I don't know. Got, got it. Good. Okay. So, so first off, anxiety manifests in a lot of different ways. You know, when, when someone becomes angry, uh, uh, anxious, they look to control their environment, right? Because it makes sense. If a person is, is, feels that things are unpredictable, they look to control it. And sometimes that comes out in manifesting by anger. Uh, okay. A couple more questions now, please. Um, one is when you take him out one-on-one, -on -one, is he a different child, or the same kind of child? Um, it depends. He gets frustrated easily. So even if we are, you know, even if he's sitting alone, I'll give you an example. Tonight he was sitting and just, you know, um, following a sports game and he was in 
you know, very disappointed about, you know, his team losing and this and that. And there were just outbursts after outbursts. So I guess that's not considered alone, maybe is what you're saying. There was some external factor. Is that what you mean when there's no external factors? Well, well no, I, I mean to say is that when you or, or your husband or, you know, take him out one-on-one to go shopping or to dinner or to something special, yeah. is he better behaved or can you expect the same behavior? Um, it's, it's possible it could go either way. I'm thinking of an example right now where I was out with him once and he was extremely disappointed because I gave him, you know, an opportunity to pick something out and, and he, you know, you give him an inch, they want nine yards type of thing. So he, he wasn't, you know, thrilled with the, you know, um, right. So yeah, yes and no, you know, yes and no. Got it. Where's he out to dinner or out to lunch or something like that? Again, yes and no. I'm thinking of another experience. Got it. Okay. Got it. I'm sorry. Yeah. Good. Good. Thank you. Is he able to, um, keep it together when he needs to, if his Rebbe there or somebody who he really wants to impress, or will he not be able to contain himself even when he very much wants to? Let's put it this way. Um, he, he I, I guess the answer to that question is yes, but on the other hand, like he does act out, you know, when it's school, he, he would act out in school. I, I, right. I got that. But again, are there times when he's able to contain himself even though emotionally he wants to, is he able to override the executive functioning part? Is he able to, to logically say, hey, this is how I feel, but I got to keep it together because of X, Y, Z. Is that something he's able to do at least from time to time? I, I, I guess there were times where he was able to do it, but I, I'm going to be straight and say that there are times that he wasn't. So it's inconsistent, you know? Good. Again, but, right, right. But see, yeah. what, see, it's important to understand when you're dealing with any type of issue, it could be bedwetting, it could be behavioral issue, whatever it is, to understand whether it's a function of motivation or capability. Meaning if a child is simply not capable of doing something, then it's a whole different conversation that's simply not motivated. So if a child is able to keep it together at some times, that tells us that he can keep it together, which uh-huh. means then, what's, I'm sorry? Yeah, I am agree, I'm saying, uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Right, okay, right, which means then that he is to some degree choosing his behavior. Now, you may say nobody actually chooses to have an outburst, nobody chooses the attention, nobody chooses to feel whatever. But if again, if he's able to contain himself sometimes, then he does have some degree of control over it. So we wanna ask ourselves, take a step back, forget about any diagnosis, forget about what's going on. What is the payoff? Whether it's an adult or a child, we, we behave in a way that gives us something. So when, and again, you may not be able to answer this. If you can, it's great. If not, we'll just go in a different direction. But can you imagine what it provides him with predictably when he has these outbursts? Does he typically then get his way? Is he able to leave the class? Does he get attention? What is it, again, if you can't answer, that's okay, but that you think he may be after that this is the route that he's pursuing? Um, I don't really know, but he's very classic self-fulfilling prophecy kind of kid. Okay. He, he, he's, he, he has low but self-esteem. But he's, he's, he's self-fulfilling prophecy, but always worst case scenario, no? Right. Like, oh, I'm not getting into yeshiva. No one's going to want right. me. Right. I'm not so the, right, right. It, it's called catastrophizing. The reason why he does that and why adults do that is because when you mention that he's, ang- uh, he's anxious, it's the first sort of giveaway, is that by going to the worst case scenario, the ego protects itself. In other words, I'm not going to be shocked. I'm not going to be surprised. There's going to be no way that I'm going to get blindsided by something terrible. I'm going to think of the worst and then I'm going to expect it to unfold. And here's the most amazing thing. 
the fact that it's a self-fulfilling prophecy gives them that feeling of comfort and security, meaning that it's predictable. What somebody who is anxious needs more than anything else, let me give you an example that is unfortunately relatable to too many people. If you are in a situation where you just don't know, you don't know about what's gonna happen with, with a, a certain case or a health issue, whatever, living in that unknown, you have people say, even if it's bad news or what, the worst thing, I just wanna know, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter almost what it is, I just want something definitive now. Living in that limbo, living in that, that, uh, that place where we don't have a solid foundation is the most frightening and unsettling of all, which is why then people, this goes into, by the way, a whole conversation on self-destructive behaviors, habits, and a lot of things that we do that injure ourselves because it's a way of focusing our abstract pain and anxiety onto something that we have more control over. And it goes into a whole other sugi on that. But you know, your, your, your son is looking to feel more solid and secure. Now, have you noticed from when he was young that he was super sensitive as a child or, or not so much? I think I was gonna say, we have a lot of live questions. Let's try to move Okay, on. fine. Two more questions and then, okay, fine. Two more questions. Um, have you noticed that he's just very sensitive when he was young? Um, I guess it's possible. He was the baby for five years. He was the youngest for five years till the next one came along. So okay. maybe okay. he went right. through the OT route. He went through, you know, that, but he, he's 13. I don't know. Maybe someone, I saw someone suggested to go through OT. Maybe it's time to revisit that. I don't know. He did it for three years and I right. don't know. Okay. Look, yeah, it's it's hard to, uh, to you know, I, I you know I know you're not asking for a diagnosis, and he, he sounds like an amazing boy, very bright kid that can do a lot. That's getting caught up in his own anxiety, his own stuff, and it's playing out obviously in an unhealthy way. Um, I I do think that I would recommend two things here. Number one is uh, he needs to be able to have an environment or a person that he can express himself in a way where he feels completely empathized with and validated. Because a child like this, you know, if he's ever told, um, you know, you're not really hungry, you're not tired, you're told how to feel, he's a, he becomes unsure of himself. So he wants to be, as a, as a saying, a person that can't express themselves to their mother can't express themselves to another. So being able to express himself and feel heard and feel understood, that is gonna help to ground him. At the same time, I would thoroughly encourage you to look at uh, nutritional options here. Um, in, in, in what you can give him supplement wise, as well as maybe go to an allergist and maybe you know, certain things like artificial colors or flavors and additives that can have a pronounced effect on a person's anxiety um, and on their behavior. So Lamaisa is I think a nutritionist and or an allergist uh, can certainly maybe just take some of the edge off. I don't know if it'll help to what degree, but it certainly can't hurt. Um, certainly proper sleep is important, um, but again, being able to have that one person he can express himself no matter what he does, it's he's unconditionally accepted. Nobody ever rejects him or his thinking because of his behavior. When he feels that degree of safety and that soundness, I think you'll be able to build on that. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Okay, you're welcome. Hatzlacha. Let's Thank go to you. The next, next live question, you're on. Um, how do you explain a difficult personality to a child who is hurt by that difficult person? Beautiful question. So I'm not so sure I would get into personality disorders with children um, or with adults for that matter and labeling people. Uh, you can say um, is that 
you know, everyone, Hashem puts different people into our lives for different reasons. Because by the way, this is an opportunity for your child to learn um, that there are people out there who are not well. And unfortunately, they will come in and through their lives as they get older. You know, knowing how to deal with that, knowing how to navigate that relationship and to understand it is much better than what some parents instinctively want to do is saying, oh, they're just crazy or they didn't mean it, whatever. And now you may have alleviated that child's angst in the moment, but you haven't given them any uh, skills to be able to take that to the next situation. So first reminding him of the reality that everyone in our lives is meant for our good and for our growth. We, they, they come through our lives in order that we should learn from it. Now, that doesn't mean I that- I want to say I'm also mean like also like three-year-olds, like who wouldn't like necessarily remember like certain things. That's what I also meant. Okay. All right. So, okay. So, so, all, right, all right. Let me just put a fine point on this. We'll get the three-year-olds. So Lamaisa is remind the child that everyone comes through our lives for our good and for our growth. It doesn't mean that the other person's not responsible. Our vote is Hashem. Our responsibility is always to say, what is the right thing for me to do in this moment? And that's it. We forget about trying to, to, to understand. See, unwell people do unwell things. Irrational people do irrational things. Sometimes we try to, to, to grasp. You know what it is? You have a conversation with somebody who doesn't speak English, but if you think if you just enunciate clearly enough and gesture wildly enough and speak loudly, they're going to understand you. They're not getting it. They're not getting it. So, you know, to explain to a child, you know, that this person um, has, you know, is, is, is behaving this way. It's not right. And now the question you want to refocus on is what is the responsible thing for that child to do? Is it to assert himself? Is it to call an adult? Is it to back down? Is it to take a moment? Is it to express how he feels and so on? But teach him that in whatever way, in whatever age he's able to. When it comes to three year, uh, a three-year-old, I'm not sure. Can you give me a specific scenario and, a, and, and the question, please? Um, I don't know, like someone hits him. They took his toy? Yeah, let's say. Or even like an adult who says something inappropriate or, and like he knows that's not right but like he doesn't understand why could adults say that or something like that right so look at three years old you know you can just say to the child oh you know uncle john he's he, he he's very silly he said something very silly and then have a conversation with uncle john behind closed doors um because if an adult is saying something inappropriate to a child you know that's a conversation for you to have with the adult not for the child for the child you know it, it's you don't need to make an issue out of things that the child's not making an issue out of so if the child comes to you and says, why is this going, blah, 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 certainly have a conversation. But if you can dismiss it, if the child is, is they're going to take their cue from you a lot of times, like a small child falls down and they look at the mother. If the mother goes, ah, the child goes, ah, the mother says, you're fine. The child goes, ah, right? So if you make it a big deal, you become hysterical. It's like the child's going to feed off of that. The, the adult says something silly. Oh, Uncle John's being silly. Oh, yes, that wasn't a nice meatos. He took your toy. Baruch Hashem, you have good meatos and so on. So you don't need to go into a, you know, a, a, a whole sheer to your child to explain that person's emotional health and well-being if they're not bothered by it. Yeah. Thank Dr. you. David, we got a tremendous amount of questions, obviously, on marriage, you know, those type of relationships. Is that a nice way of saying you want shorter answers? No, it's a nice way of saying that, that we're going to finish today at 3 30. That's what I'm letting you know. Okay. Um, we have a tremendous amount of questions on marriage and parents. So I'm just letting you know, I'm getting like a lot of live, you know, texts over here and a lot of power. So uh, just let's, let's open up the door. Okay. Uh, we got a few different versions of this, a broad question. You could narrow it however you want. My spouse is extremely sensitive when it comes to certain topics. I really don't know the right way in having these conversations. 
in a productive manner. Now you could you could use the example however you want. We got in ten different versions, but that's the general question. I'm sorry. Could I can I trouble you just to, to, to rephrase that question or repeat it, please? My spouse is an extremely sensitive person. Yeah. When it comes to certain topics. I really don't know how the, the right way of having these conversations with this, with her or him in a productive manner. Okay, got it. Very good. So look, when a person's sensitive about something, it could be for a myriad of reasons. Uh, if there, let, let's let, let's like a, a couple of uh, common ones. One is if they're doing something that is bothering you, and you think bringing it up, they're just going to you know get defensive about it. And this goes in a whole difference about with men and women, um, which I, I would rather not get into. But maybe if we go to four in the morning, we can have that conversation. But for now, um, one of the best things you can do when bringing something up with a sensitive spouse is don't make it about your spouse; make it about yourself. Meaning that. If the only reason why your spouse gets upset or defensive is if you put them on the defensive, if they think that they're doing something wrong, like they're letting you down. But if you make it your problem, then they're not going to be as sensitive. So, for example, let's say um, whatever the situation is, you want to bring up that your spouse is, spouse is leaving the toothpaste cap off the toothpaste. Uh, they leave the jar of ketchup always, or the uh, jar of mayonnaise always out. They gamble away the money in Atlantic City, whatever minor issue it is right? Rather than coming to the person and say, well, what would we typically do? Why are you always doing this? I can't believe you're doing this again. I told you not to do this. Again, whatever, make a face on. It doesn't go anywhere. And what you want to really do is you make it all I statements. As soon as a person says the word you, you're sunk. So better make it say, look, first off, timing is important. You make sure none of, none of you are tired, hungry, cranky, and just, you know, like in that calm space where you can both really hear each other. You start by saying, again, I, me, I know it's not a big deal. I so appreciate that you do this, that you do this, this, and that. I'm having a hard time when, you know, you scream at me about this or when you leave your socks here or when this. I know it's not a big deal. I'm just expressing that because of my own mission, gosh, my childhood, this is how my mother did this, how my father, whatever. As long as I make it my problem, my spouse is going to be unlikely to get sensitive and upset about it. Because I haven't told her she's doing anything wrong. I haven't told him he's doing anything wrong. The minute we start with, how can you, dot, 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 we're done. So again, make it about yourself. This is something that I'm struggling with. I know, and the truth is, 99% of things that bother us that know our strength is silliness anyway. What bothers us is that we don't feel heard. We don't feel respected. We don't feel appreciated. We don't feel acknowledged. That's what bothers us. What bothers me feel my spouse doesn't care enough about me. If they did, they wouldn't be doing X, Y, Z. So make it about yourself. Your spouse won't get defensive. That's yeah. one. We can go into more or we can just take other questions. Just push it a little bit further. And then after you express yourself and you say, I really don't like when you leave the toothpaste out and the next day you come and it's all over the sink and on the mirror. What's 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 your next response? Good. So again, so so what you're going to do is you're you're going to say that when then this happens, this is your reaction. You're owning your reaction. You're not saying you get me upset. We're responsible on emotions. As soon as you say to your spouse, when you do this, I get upset. Not the ideal way. This happens. I know you don't mean to be disrespectful, to be rude, to mean people I don't know on, whatever it is. I have a hard time with it because of my issues, my stuff. I And the truth is, in every area of life, we don't get upset because of what's happening. We get upset because of the meaning we're attaching to it. That meaning determines how we feel. It's not the situation. It's the meaning we're attaching to it. So a spouse that's healthier can think and understand, honestly, my spouse is not leaving out the mayonnaise because she doesn't respect me. My spouse is not leaving the toothpaste cap, toothpaste cap off the toothpaste 
because he doesn't love me. He's doing it because he's absent-minded or from her stuff, she's busy, whatever it is, I know it's not because of a defect or deficiency There's something broken, bad, wrong about me. But when the ego gets engaged, that's how we feel. So the healthier person is able to take themselves out of the picture. When you have your con that conversation with your spouse, take yourself out of it. It's meaning don't take it personally. It's not about you. And then simply express how you feel. And the job of the other spouse, if this will reverse since you're hearing this, your job is to empathize, validate, and then go weiter. I believe you know, we have a rule on, the, on this program. You know the rule is? The rule of the program is that we have a list of people that want to ask live. But if you were previously on the share, you get to supersede everybody and you get to ask first. So if you have somebody that was on the share that wants to ask you, Whoa, my goodness. Dr. Dave, <laughs> how you doing? Ari Ben Shushan from sunny California. Sunny California. Wow. Hello. wow. And my Doc, favorite patient. There's a palm tree. There's a palm tree right there for you. That's right. You know, I, I, I can tell you I'm not just a president. I'm a patient, too. There you go. <laughs> wow. Remember those? <laughs> wow. So, so yes. Dr. Dave, um, I, I just want to say number one, thank you for everything that you do, but I had a very specific question and somebody I asked you back then by Pesach, but I didn't realize how big of an issue this is. Um, Yassi and I in our podcast, we discussed this thing of misophonia. So yeah. Misophonia, yeah. so misophonia, just to tell the audience, because half of them have it, they just don't know it. Misophonia is when somebody makes loud noises with their mouth, they chew, they crunch, um slurp you know a lot of these different things that um it drives certain people like myself crazy to the point that i have to leave the room like like i i can't stay in the room so i thought that i was the only crazy person out there and and you still maybe this <laughs> no i and uh, by the way happy happy to be the king of crazy no i'm good with that but then unfortunately very many people joined the ranks of crazy which is that i got so many emails I got so many calls and then I, I was in the East Coast recently. A lot of people stopped, came up to me. There was one mother in particular. She's like, there has to be some way out of this. She said, I can't stay in the room when my kids are eating breakfast. She said, I have to leave. She said, and, and I hate them. She's like, because they're, because she was, and I know, I know they're allowed to eat their breakfast, but I hate them. So this is something that I didn't realize how prevalent it is um, among so many people, myself included. So a lot of people have emailed me and asked me, is there a way out? And I said to them, I've, you know, I've tried, I've read, I've heard. And then at the beginning of the podcast here, you had said an idea of that the more a person accustoms himself to being able to withstand whatever it is that he's up against, that that may align him in an ability to build up a certain, I don't know, power or boundary for it. So I just wanted to ask this question. Is there something, Dr. Dave, that you have? Uh, to help out myself and many other people with this issue. Got it. it. It's so good to see you, to hear from you. And great question. Uh, misophonia or misophonia uh, is, is, is a diagnosis that actually came about 1980s, I think 1982 or something like that. Uh, and it refers to it just as the rabbi said about somebody who has a, an extreme uh, uh, visceral reaction to certain sounds. I actually had somebody uh, who came to me, they're an orthodontist. And imagine having misophonia and being an orthodontist. It's clearly his practice was in jeopardy. And the, the, the studies, the recent studies show that it's hard to pinpoint whether or not it's physiological, psychological, neurological. I'm gonna share with you my theory. And this is, I, I, I'm fast to say this is just my own thinking um, because there's not a lot of research on this, but it does come up. 
I, I believe that there's a strong link with misophonia and anxiety um, and how it's manifesting itself. So I don't know if there's a silver bullet answer. I do think something like mindfulness meditation, uh, something about, about you know, any type of um, meditation or any type of cognitive behavioral strategy you can do to help to bring down that boiling point so you're less anxious, you might find um, your response a little bit more measured. Again, I don't know if that'll fix it for everybody, but it's something that I, I think can be effective. This might help for other emotional uh, reactions also. Look, certainly, you know, anxiety exacerbates everything and, um, and uh, meditation, mindfulness meditation, there's a couple of grades farm out on it now. Uh, mindfulness meditation is just a very good, effective way to be able to sort of quiet some of the static and to allow a person to process their reality in a much more balanced way. And if they have uh, misophonia, it's certainly something that I think can be helpful. Okay, amazing. Okay, let's go to the next live question. You're on. Yes. Hi, Dr. Lieberman. Thank you so much. I uh, personally wanted to say I read the book called Never Get Angry Again. Um, just want to recommend to the audience here. It's Thank something you. that goes through very, very clear and very practical tips. And yeah, if anyone, you know, definitely can, definitely a worth it, worth it by. Anyway, I wanted to ask, like, uh, imagine a situation where you're a bacher in a family and you have uh, a parent where they're very, uh, like, coming from whatever they had going on in their lives much before you were born. And any situation you go in, meaning like you have, let's say one of my siblings that would be doing more of like the right path, so to speak, like what he would theoretically you would think you would like. And let's say the other sibling doing something that isn't the best that he doesn't necessarily like. And whatever it is, it always comes up that he gets angry and annoyed. And like, he'll start mixing in a thousand different stories of things from the past that have nothing to do with each other. And then from there, our relationship between our family gets pretty intense a lot. And now some people in the family moving on to Shaduchim have to deal with trying to go out and stuff and always having this problem of where they're always getting angry and annoyed. What I'm trying to find out is what is practical uh, steps or tips that can help out for younger siblings or anyone in any age and stage to deal with the parent like this. And then in the future, when they move on to like Shaduchim and stuff, how they know that this is going to like not reflect them when they're married that they're automatically going to react the same way they've been seeing for the last 23 years of their lives wow wow what a, a, a thoughtful insightful question so let me do my best to answer that for you um and, and one is that you know when a person grows up in a certain environment and they're worried that they're going to turn out like that uh, that pretty much from my experience inoculates them against them ever turning out like that you know, you have somebody who grows up in a house and they say, I will never behave like my so-and-so. And one of two things happen. Either they do behave exactly like so-and-so or they behave the opposite, which can also, quite frankly, be not healthy. But the fact that you're asking the question and the fact that it's on your radar, again, from my experience, pretty much inoculates you against being that kind of person because you're sensitive to it, you're aware to it, you see the consequence of it. And so I would just take it off that. Um, and second thing is, you know, and I don't know if I, I, this is your question, but the undercurrent of it 
seem to be that, do you see yourself as like the peacemaker in the family? Is, is, do you see yourself in that role or am I misreading that? Yes, yeah, so um, from the older ones, so we are trying to figure out how to uh, reduce the, I guess the trauma or whatever the word you wanna use in the situation of being brought up over the years and just having a father that keeps reacting insane, insanely all the time for very irrational reasons. Right. Look, I, I, I can give you a nice pat answer, and that's to tell you to empathize and to validate, to understand that no doubt, you know, a, a person that behaves like this came from a very difficult childhood themselves, as you probably well know. His childhood was, was no picnic. Um, it was clearly abusive to some degree, um, probably to a large degree, and it itself manifested his behavior towards you. Uh, and certainly getting yourself, you know, help. And, you know, the, the problem is this, is that when a child grows up in an environment with an, a, 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 an abusive environment, it's different than if you enter that environment as an adult, because a child's identity is still forming. They, who they are, their boundaries, their identity, their narrative identity, how they see themselves in the world is still being shaped. And so when um, a, a person grows up in an environment that's very chaotic and out of control and their love was conditional, they're going to find themselves sometimes behind that sort of emotional eight ball. So this is a long way of saying, I do think being able to speak to somebody, a professional, um, and, and being able to sort of work through um, some of these things that come up will be very, very healthy, just in terms of a mindset shift and in terms of a dealing with it. Uh, at the same time, though, I do think tactically, without even knowing the origins of where you know, the, the parent is coming from, there are things you can do. Clearly, this a person who lashes out in this way, and again, I'm not speaking about anyone in particular, but in broad strokes, they suffer with the perverse insecurity, inferiority. So catering to their ego, making them feel respected, making them feel hush of, giving them information, making them feel important, valuable, significant, um, will go a very long way towards mitigating um, a lot of their reaction. It won't cure it, but it'll go a long way to mitigating it. At the same what time if, is- What if I feel that that's going to bring a- uh, like a p empowerment and a lot of the stuff that you want to think to do, which I've heard is to follow or try to do a work around the reaction. But what if a lot of that stuff are very, very crazy and it's not considered a normal thing for someone to react to act this way for that, like some crazy irrational things. Right, right. So here, here, here's what doesn't work. I'm just, you already know it. I'm going to walk through everyone watching that knows those work. You never say calm down and you never say don't worry. Right. When, when you're upset about something and someone says, don't worry, I, unless you're a dermat you know, dermatologist looking at a mole, you want to stay away. That doesn't make anyone feel magically better. The same time, calm down is also out the window. When a person's getting angry, they feel that way because of some degree of loss of control. Now you want to tell them how to feel by saying calm down doesn't work. What you want to do in this situation is you want to be able to get on that emotional wavelength with the parents. That would mean is trying to do your best. And again, if if you're able to pull this off, it can be near magical. What you want to be able to do is simply take yourself out of it, depersonalize it, at least intellectually recognize his pain, his stuff. Empathize. So you can give me a real life example and we can take what it looks like or I can give you a generic one. Are you comfortable giving me a real life example? Sure. Imagine you're at the Friday night table and the grape juice cup drips over and gets the tablecloth a little red and that turns the entire meal into the biggest chaos and then all of a sudden the whole meal is done and the whole, that whole Friday night is over. 
Right. By the way, the interest of fair disclosure, my tablecloth is by the end of the night half purple anyway. Um, I got little, got little kids and I, I'm responsible for 80 percent of it anyway. Um, so here's what you do. I'm going to share something with you that is going to seem just out of the box. Uh, but quite frankly, I know the situation, not this one particular, but this comes up a lot. You're dealing with somebody who's going to have an angry, emotional outburst over the smallest thing. They're going to ruin the entire, quote unquote, ruin the entire Shabbos, and you're lost. So again, this, it's, uh, this advice comes presuming that you've done everything else that is within the box, because we're going to go out of the box, okay? Because, you know, when it's choice between bad and worse, let's take bad, right? There's no perfect answer here. But in a situation like this, assuming you've tried everything else, what you want to do is Here's the rule of thumb. Nobody is going to get angrier at you than you are at yourself. So then he gets this, that your dad gets upset when this happens because in his mind, this shouldn't happen. Lack of control, lack of respect and so on. But if the, whoever you spill it and you go, my gosh, I, I can't, he'll be like, Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Not, not the other, just hold on. Not the world. At the very least, he's going to be shocked. No one is going to get more upset at you than you are yourself. So again, in this situation, and we can take different scenarios, but whoever spills a grape juice, if they make it into a big deal, you take away his job from him. Does that make sense to you? Yes, yes, thank you. Okay, do you want to give me another scenario and I'll show you how it works, or maybe uh, we need to move on, whatever. I, I would love to, I just feel like we have to move on, so I'm not sure. Well, we have a lot more live ones, so I wanna-, I wanna Okay, 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 okay. Thank you. Sure, you're welcome. Okay, somebody texted me this, and they're well. Okay, let's do the live. Okay, you're on live first. Hi. Hi. Is it me? Yes, it's you. You win. Okay. How do you deal with a person who's closely related to you, who is so angry with you they won't speak to you, but you have absolutely no idea why they're angry? Okay. Um, can I presume that you've already tried to ask other people around them or you haven't done that yet? I have done that. And? The person that's closest to them just won't give me a response. Okay, because they don't know or they know they don't want to share? Probably because they don't want to share, yeah? Correct. Right, right. So I, I would do like, I would, again, I, we're painting with a broad brush here. We'll assume you've tried you know, the normal routes and it sounds like you have. Um, I would encourage you to... Uh, speak with your Rav or Rebetzin, somebody who has some experience in this area, to speak with this woman and to recognize that there is Toelis in sharing it. There is value in sharing. She's not, assuming that's the case. I mean, she, the, the, you know, your Rav may come back and say, she told me what the situation is and better you not know. I don't know. But I, I do think a situation, same thing comes up a lot in Shadokham is that, you know, they, people don't share something that the other person can do that can help them, which I, I have a, you know, it's not necessarily always the best way to go. Um, but if, if they can't do anything about it, then there's no reason to. But if there's something you've done and you can correct it and you don't have to walk around this pain, this person has to walk around this pain, to me, there's a very good chance that this rub will give this woman, uh, you know, a, 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 the um, halacha ability to be able to express to you properly what it is that you've done. And then you can go ahead and move forward. But simply trying to extract it from this person, she probably thinks she's betraying loyalties. Uh, and very nicely that she feels that way. She just may be wrong about where her loyalties lie and the loyalties here lie to Shalom, to making peace, most likely. Again, you need to bring in a competent rub to guide you on that. But I would go ahead and try to get movement in that area 
once she comes to you, then you know what it is. And then you can go ahead and approach it and how you, make, how you approach it makes all the difference in the world. We can get into that if you want, but that's the best way to find out what's going on. I, I've tried an intermediary. Doesn't seem to, right. intermediary seems to have taken whatever it is that she says to heart and therefore won't. Right. Can I, can I respectfully assume that the intermediary was not a rob or someone this person holds in esteem or it was? It was. It was. And this person still refused to share it? They may have shared. I believe they've shared it with their rub, but that's the rub doesn't want to share it. Oh, okay. So hold on a second. So this woman's not telling you, her friend's not telling you, and the rub's not telling you. Is it possible? This possible? Maybe it's better that you don't know. No, because there's no relationship because of whatever it is. And it sounds like you're presuming that I did something, and I don't know that I did anything at all. No, no, Moscow, no, no, I, I, I don't mean to presume that. I'm, I'm, but my, my question was really just out loud is maybe it's better that you don't know, meaning what she presumes you to have done. Now, okay, so I'll find. So if you've done that, then I would encourage the following. Um, you can write a letter. Have you tried that? Um, I tried um, um, sending a text and an email, but it fell in deaf ears. Yeah, okay, I would encourage, the, the reason why I text an email because it doesn't take a lot. Here's what, here's what happens. This woman believes you've done something clearly egregious to her that has caused her a great deal of pain. So until you've established balance in the relationship, meaning that you've extended a great deal of effort, a great deal of energy, um, and have put yourself uh, in her spot, she's going to be unlikely to, to cede uh, power or control because she feels like you've already usurped it. You've taken it from her. So you need to restore the balance. So even without knowing what it is, you now, I would just, from a psychological standpoint, have to put time, energy, heartache, money, something into the relationship to help balance the equation. Now, does she live in the same city or she lives far away? Far away. Great. So one of the things you could do, for example, is you could get on a plane, fly, hand deliver a letter, and just give it to her or knock on the door, leave it. Show that you've invested a great deal into trying to make things right. When she recognizes or really believes that your investment and your output here has now compensated for the injury, that's when she's gonna be able to come to the table. But right now she's probably just ensconced too much hurt. She thinks she you had done something clearly purposeful to her. So you need to, again, balance that out. So you've gotta go ahead and extend yourself here. You've got to put an energy and effort to show her that this is a relationship that you're committed to uh, making better. Not selfishly because you don't want it to be from a, I want to go into Yom Kippur feeling better about myself and I don't want to be punished. You know, let's all, Baba Khalis, you know, Khalis, how's this going on? It should be about nothing other than the fact I caused you pain. I don't know what it is, but it deeply wounds me that you're in pain because of something I've done. And I'm not going to stop until you ask me to trying to make things right. That's the approach. Does that make sense? It does, I guess. Okay, so what's your next step then, practically speaking? Um, write a letter, I guess. I've tried, by the way, through her spouse who knows what, what she's angry about. Right, I, again, anything that's easy to do is going to be just swatted away like a fly. You've got to invest. Think about it from her perspective, by the way. Let's assume you believe she's done something to you that was really egregious, something just, your mind, your mind almost at the borderline of unforgivable. Now she didn't, 
right? And make this fair, but you believe she did. Simply trying to communicate to a spouse and say, hey, tell someone I want to talk to her or send an email is like, are you kidding me? But if she actually invested and gave herself over and you can see that she was pounding the pavement to try to make things right because you're in pain, don't you think that would give you a little bit more emotional leeway to come to the table, to speak, have a conversation with her? Um, say I yes. Can't. Okay, I'll <laughs> say yes, but I I'm know kidding. how- Go ahead, go ahead, answer honestly, please. I, I, I just, I don't know what she's mad about, but I know she's so angry that it's gone on for two right. years already. So got I don't- so, so again, so, so I would encourage Revitin, you've got to invest in the relationship. Show her you're committed to Writing the wrong, not because you're in pain, not because Kaiserel needs, you know, shalom or achdos, but because you care about her, you've done something to her that has caused her pain or she perceives as being in pain, and you want to help alleviate that because you care about her. It's not about you being out of pain, it's about her being out of pain. That's the focus. And I believe if you hammer on that, you'll get some movement. David, I want, I want to, I'm sorry, let me just add, by the way, if you don't, because I'll say you try three different times, three different ways, properly this way, if you don't get any movement, you have to recognize that you've done your list and then guilt-free, shame-free, pain-free, you've got to go weiter and move on with, you know, guidance of your rough. David, okay. this is spiraling into the next conversation, which uh, I'm going to bring up, Okay. We talk about the alienation of the parents and stuff like that. There, there's we got questions both ways. I'll start with one way and then we'll go to the other way. Okay. Speaking of difficult and complicated personalities, is there any Torah resource prospects in rectifying the syndrome of parents and grandparents, grandchildren alienation due to a rift in the parent-child relations? Doesn't the Torah? Have... Uh, sorry, <laughs> I well, jumped on. I'm going to read the question that was written. You could you could take it from there, and then I have a question exactly the opposite. Okay. So get ready. Doesn't the Torah have the mitzvah on the honor to honor your mother and father and gives a Torah Jew an obligation and to perform and to make it worthwhile to keep the relationship going and find common ground no matter how difficult it may be? After all is said and done, the child who bears the grudge complaint to the mother and father has a life and would not be in existence if not for their mother and father who partnered with Hashem and raised him to the adulthood to who he is, is born. Who gives these, these children Torah permission to throw their parents under the bus and throw the baby out with the bath of water, so to speak? Great. So I want to mention one thing. There is a large group of parents that have a relationship. Talking about hundreds of parents that the children, you know, disconnect from them, whether a rough tells them or a therapist tells them. And um, obviously, there's you know, so the stories in each story. We're not going to get into each specific story, but the general question is, what gives a rough or somebody? Okay, go and just get ready for the for the the question. Yeah, the flip side. Look. I believe that the very disturbing trend of parental alienation is nothing short of disgusting. It is not only, it's injurious, it, it's wrong. Again, I, I, we're painting with a broad brush here without talking about specific cases. The too quick knee-jerk response of a well-intentioned, well-meaning therapist, or even a rub that may not have gotten, by the way, I, I I encourage people to recognize when you get half a story, it's half a story. It's worthless. Unless you hear from everybody, you can't give, as a, as a therapist, you can't guide somebody on what to do unless you really know what's going on. doesn't mean the person's coming to is lying, but we all have our own perspective. Whatever degree you can gather information, get a fuller, wider picture is undeniably necessary and vital. So here's what happens, is that a person hears 
you know, a, a, a very lopsided one-sided story. Not again, this person is saying something that's not true, but they're framing it in a way that casts the parent as the villain. So the natural response of any, again, well-meaning, well-intentioned, let's just say therapist, is to say, look, you're in pain because of this parent. You've tried speaking to them responsibly. They're not, okay, time to take a step back, time to drop what all this stuff. The problem here is, you, first, yes, we have our uh, holistic responsibilities to keep it up. You have all of that in place. But find me a child that is able to take a step back um, and still remain emotionally whole, solvent, and healthy without feeling some degree of fracture. Some we, 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 we spoke a little bit about this before. When you've got to distance yourself from any relationship, how you do it makes all the difference in the world. And when we withdraw, from a, particularly from a parent, in an unhealthy way, um, it injures us emotionally, period. It injures us spiritually, period. It injures us physically, period. It is very injurious to us, irrespective of the relationship, which is why you'll see children who have, or alienated from their parents, um, they've got their stuff. And again, we all have our stuff. I mean, except for me, you guys have your stuff. We all have our stuff. So it's exacerbated when these relationships have friction. It doesn't mean that there aren't times that are responsible that you have to draw a boundary line. But I do think we're too quick uh, at the trigger to draw it. And again, even though it seems like the parent is paying the price here, I will tell you the child suffers because if it was not done right responsibly or should not have been done at all, the child ends up paying an emotional toll for it. So let me ask you this, I'm gonna mix two questions, but it's really the flip side of the question. My mother has borderline personality disorder and anxiety disorder. She recently moved next door to me and is living very close to me. What steps can I take to deal with that? I'm being told to really cut off from her. In such a case, if I do cut off from her, does, does, if I cut off from her, do you think the unhealthy parent will start actually doing a cheshvan and nefesh or they'll just keep on blaming everyone else? Right, look, yeah, the less healthy a person, the rule of thumb is this, the less healthy a person is, the more they're gonna blame other people. So um, the more healthy they are, the more they're going to look at the situation honestly and objectively and ask themselves, you know, not just what did I contribute to the other person's pain, but what can I do to help alleviate it? So I can't answer the question whether or not the person will begin to, uh, to turn inward and introspective and ask themselves, but it's unlikely if in fact this is a diagnosis. At the same time, you know, sometimes we think that cutting off from somebody magically makes us feel better, improves the relationship. You've got mom living upstairs who's suffering with this. You think cutting ties is gonna make your life easier? I I'm not so sure that's gonna happen. The question is always, what's your vote as Hashem? Do you need boundaries that are responsible? Of course. Every day, in the beginning of Bereshit, Hashem defines and delineates all of creation. We need, boundaries are not meant to keep people out. They're meant to define our personal sense of responsibility and obligation. They're define us. Every relationship needs healthy boundaries, unhealthy relationships even more so. So then you draw boundaries, but again, they're not meant to keep mom out. They're meant to define what's my responsibility, what's my role, and what's hers. Now, you need the, the guidance of a rub to be able to tell you where that line gets drawn. And when that, wherever that line is, now you strategically have to enforce your borders, okay? You need a strong border, make Mexico pay for it if you want, but you need it. And, and when you enforce boundaries, by the way, 
you can't simply do it with words because people who breach boundaries, by the way, as we've all experienced, if you have difficult people in your life, they've got lousy boundaries. The reason is because if I don't have a clear sense of me, I've got a poor sense of we. If I don't know where I begin and I end, then clearly my relationship is going to have blurred boundaries, which is why, which is why difficult people invariably are boundary breachers. They have very, very poor boundaries. Not all personality disorders, their avoidant personality will not. Their boundary will be very much inward. They'll avoid all encounters because they don't want to be dependent or feel beholden to anyone. But in broad strokes, most personality disorders uh, encroach on other people's boundaries. So if you were to park your car in a bad neighborhood, you would not put a sign in the window that said, I've got an expensive radio, please don't steal. The reason, of course, is because anyone who is not inclined to steal your radio does not need a sign. And a person who wants to steal your radio is not going to be stopped by the words, don't steal my radio. As to with boundaries, you can tell a person um, you know, not to do X, Y, Z. And again, whether you should or shouldn't is a different conversation where you draw that line. But once that line is drawn in any relationship, only consequences matter. So whatever, whenever that person steps over, there have to be very clear cut consequences, not done out of anger, retribution, but merely because this is the consequence of breaching a boundary. And we train, we teach other people how to behave towards us even people who are unwell. And at the end of the day, everyone will act in their own interest when they're suffering with this matzav. So if she wants a relationship with you and she realizes that this produces consistently unproductive results, you're going to find that she's going to come around a different way. But you will see that by reinforcing consistently and compassionately two C's to keep in mind, your boundaries, you will find that even people uh, who suffer with personality disorders will begin to come up to the line and they'll try and push past it. That's their job. Your job is to hold the line. If you're able to hold it, you will see that they will begin to push and push less and less. Let's jump on this live question. You're on. Okay. Um, what about a child that was brainwashed against one parent and all his siblings and was made to believe that this person, that this parent is a horrible person? Is it worth to try to rebuild a relationship with this child? He's still in pain. He's still believing all the lies. He's a 14-year-old and he's living in foster care now. And he's not allowed to even live with a parent that bath that badmouthed the other parent because he's not capable of caring for the child. Okay, so he here's how this works. Every child is going to personalize everything because children are entirely egocentric. Their entire world revolves around themselves, right? And we know this because I'll explain that that a child does not get a yitzatov, you know, uh, that it works in different ways, but that level in the shama, there's different uh, levels in the shama until the age of 12 and 13 for girls and boys, respectfully, uh, respectfully. So there's, there's, they're entirely ego oriented. So for example, no, you know, 14 year old boy uh, is sitting at home, the father comes back and yelling and screaming. He's not going to think, wow, dad had a tough day at work. I'm going to let him let off some steam. He'll calm down, have a drink. All will be good. The child is naturally going to say, what is so broken, bad, defective, ugly within me that is causing this behavior? Because any egocentric person, particularly children who are entirely egocentric, we know adults like this as well, but children have an excuse, is going to assume that the behavior of somebody else towards them is because of me, because of them. They never stop for a moment to think, what is going on with this person? this is their problem, their pain. They internalize everything and personalize everything. So the degree to which you can mitigate this child feeling like 
this treatment is because they're not good enough, they're not worthy of the love and attention is great. Whether it's through um, letters, emails, um, other people telling them, whatever way they can communicate that you are loved, you are loved, you are loved. This behavior has nothing to do with that. It has to do with this person's, this, whatever, the, however the child can hear it and understand it, you wanna be able to depersonalize as much as, you, as much as you can because as this child transitions to adulthood, the ability to be able to recognize that how other people treat me is a reflection of their stuff, not mine, right? Is going to be undeniably valuable. But when we begin to assume that, that it's, if see, if I don't love me, I can't imagine why you would love me. So this child is gonna have a tough time uh, in his relationships if he feels himself not worthy of love. So again, the way you, however you can mitigate this child feeling that they were the cause of the parent's behavior, go all out with that. Does that answer your question okay? Yeah, that's great. Powerful, powerful answer. Let's go now. Somebody texted me this question. We're going to go back to, into the marriage thing. How do you deal with a spouse and validate them when you're consistently being put down or just their punching bag for issues that they take it out on you? Or when you tell them how you feel, they get defensive and angry. Okay. So again, if, here's what you do. If you express how you feel and the person's getting defensive or angry, they're getting this way because they feel like they're doing something wrong. And a person with low self-esteem cannot hear that there's anything bad or that uh, or blemished about them. The less good they feel about themselves, the more they need to protect that image, right? The healthier we are, the more we can hear criticism. You don't like my tie. You don't like my speech. You don't like this. Okay, you've got a problem. Maybe I spoke too fast. Maybe this, maybe it wasn't a nice, I don't know. But I'm not going to have my whole identity wrapped up into what you think about me. Rev. Yisrael Salanta once said that the apex of a person's emotional health is when they're swayed neither from excessive criticism or praise. We tell a person, that was really great. Yashikoyach, was this great? Glad you liked it. Doesn't change my self-worth. It's nice to hear compliments over criticism. Person doesn't like it. Okay, let me see. What can I do to improve it? But my whole identity isn't wrapped up in it. To your spouse, in this case, who they are, how they see themselves is wrapped up in every exchange, which is why it's not just expressing how you feel. They're going to connect the dots to even the most benign um, incidental comment to assume that you're seeing through their veneer and you don't respect them. You don't care about them. Because if I don't love me, I'm going to read everything that you do to fit that perception that I'm not lovable. So there's no winning, right? I mean, unfortunately, it's, it can seem that way, but of course there is. So in a case like this, you want to do, just if you join this late, uh, is, is how you bring it up makes all the difference in the world. You make it all about yourself. You never want to put your spouse on defensive. We, we cover this in the beginning. Uh, we won't go through it now. But Lamaise is you speak all about from yourself, from your own perspective, how you feel because of your stuff, your issues. You recognize it's not done on purpose. It's not because you respect you. You know how great he is. You know how wonderful he is. You're just having a hard time. At the same time, when he gets it right, when he does do it, then as we spoke about also, charge it with positivity. I so appreciate that, you know, we were out in public and you, you didn't yell at me in front of my friends. I know, you know, I, I, what I did maybe wasn't so right, but I really appreciate that you do that. That, believe it or not, will charge him and give him a, a greater self-concept and make it easier for him to behave politely 
the next time that situation comes up or whatever it is. Okay, I have two questions over here. One is from the kids and one from the parents. So we'll put it okay. together. As a married adult, how do I deal with my parents when they treat me nice only when I do what they want? So when I do what they want, they treat me nice. However, and, and from the other side, um, somebody mentions here that they only treat their kids. When my kids listen and behave, that's when I treat them nicer. But when they don't, I'm very cold to them and don't have patience for them. Okay. So first things first. Number one is, if, as an adult child, um, do more of what your parents like and want and recognize the responsibilities are and do your best to accommodate them. Can we say, that's, a, can we say that's lower? <laughs> I'm sorry? Should the child do everything the parent wants? No. I, as, an adult, as, a, as an adult child, yeah. you've got to make sure that you're clear about what your responsibilities are. Right. That's, you know, that's the word I want you to say slower. That obviously oh, okay. you have responsibilities and you can't do everything for your parents. And that, that's a course for itself. Very good. Of, of course. You, you, I always tell people, you know, it, it's, you, our avoda is to find out what's responsible and then either do it besimcha or don't do it guilt-free. But to do it, you know, halfway or begrudgingly is not the way to do it. And not to do it and beat yourself up is also not responsible. You find out what's the, your halakhic requirements, what you're supposed to do, and fulfill it besimcha. And if you don't have to, then choose to do it or choose not to do it. If it's not an obligation, then you can choose to do chesed, do to do kindness. You can choose to do a lot of things for your parent, even though you're not halakhically required to. Um, and you may choose to do that, which is um, wonderful. But again, you don't have to feel bad for not doing what you shouldn't be doing or don't have responsibility to do. At the same time, when you do it, do it besimcha. As a parent, the mo- when you said a parent to an adult, to a, a child, a child, a parent should not give their love conditionally, meaning when the child does what I want, I'm happy, I treat them nicely. When they don't, I show my disdain. That's not chinuch. When yeah. Your, so when your child does what you don't want him to do, so what do you do? Okay. Do you treat him with the same love and give him the same exactly what he is? Of course. Okay. Of course. I, if you make your, chi- your love for your child conditional on their behavior, that child will grow up feeling that their love is conditional. I am only now loved by my spouse, loved by my children, if I behave in a certain way. Because I'll tell us that a real love is not dependent on anything. It simply is. So if you make your love conditional, my children will behave, behave the way they want, so I will treat them kindly. If they don't, I'll give them the cold shoulder. Bad chinuch. I Okay? Good chinuch is... I, I, I love you unconditionally. I accept you unconditionally. That never changes. I don't become uh, hostile towards you because you're not doing what I want. My behavior is still loving. When we conflate, when we confuse acceptance and approval, that's when we head towards disaster. Acceptance is no matter what your child does, who they are, how they are, if they never change, never grow, or, cha- or moved in whatever direction, your love is unconditional. That doesn't mean you approve everything that they do. Right. Same thing with ourselves. You can accept yourself and love yourself unconditional. Doesn't mean you approve of a fraction of the things that you do. But when we confuse the two, it means now that I can't accept and love me. I can't accept and love my spouse or my child because they're not doing everything I want. That's 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 not that's not the optimum way here. Yeah. 
Hundred percent. So give okay. an, ex an example. How do you mechanach a child that doesn't do what you want? Fourteen-year-old, your kid comes home, you love him, you hug him, you kiss him, you buy him, you drive him, you take him, and he smells from a pack of Marlboro Lights. Great. So yeah. I'll tell you this. Uh, nice hypothetical. You know, when your child comes back and you have in your mind, I do this, this, and this, and this is, you're not going to have a productive conversation. First rule is wait until you're both in a space where you can have that conversation calmly, compassionately, kindly, respectfully, speak literally in a calm tone. Sometimes parents think that the angry they are, the, 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 the louder they have to be. Teenagers, particularly teenagers, their brain simply shuts down from being yelled at. So how you deal with that is you wait until you've got that nice, ripe moment. And then you sit down in a case like this. And now let's walk through real life. Does the child know that you don't want smoking? Does he not know? What's the story here? I think most 14-year-olds know that the parents usually don't like Marlboro. Maybe they like Parliament. But Marlboro, there's something against Marlboro. Okay, or at least uh, non-filtered. So right. here's the thing. First, if a child is doing something, that they know they shouldn't be doing, and you believe that telling them not to do it will not change their behavior, don't tell them. The reason is because they should better feel that shame and hide it than do it out in the open and to, to lose that, um, that busha associated with it. So again, if they're doing it and you know that having a conversation with them will not stop it, there's zero reason, sometimes parents try to lay the guilt on the child when they're doing something, which can be effective sometimes. The problem is if the child doesn't correct the behavior, it makes it that much more difficult for them to, uh, to for you to be effective in any other area because you've injured the relationship. In other words, you from their perspective have made them feel bad. And in our own lives with our children, with our spouse, nobody moves forward from being beaten up on. No one moves forward from a piece of negativity. You know the best way to get your spouse or anyone else's cooperation is to tell them how much you appreciate all that they're doing. When you begin to beat somebody up for not doing enough, you know, parents sometimes will say, you know, to their child, you know, you, you, Chaim, you want to do uh, mitzvah, so-and-so. Child doesn't do it. You missed an opportunity. You blew it. You could have done a mitzvah. Why? If the child's not doing something that they should be doing, whether it's an opportunity, a mitzvah, or they're doing something you don't want them to do, why beat them up for it? Why make them feel worse? If the moment has already passed, they can't do anything about it, which is obvious, or they're not going to change the behavior. So first yeah. off, you have to know whether or not the conversations can be productive. If you've got no shot, then forget about it for now. Again, there's, there's a reason to have the conversation, but if you've got no shot of influence behavior, then don't. If you believe you can, make sure that you're in a calm, quiet, clear space, and then bring up the subject. Don't accuse your child. Maybe he was out with his friends who smoked. Maybe he just tried it once. You, if, you, if you come in assuming the facts and they're not true, you're setting yourself up for a conflict for no reason. Why not simply say, so-and-so, you know, I happen to have smelled smoke on you the other day. That's it. Let's just take now it up one ante. Dr. Dave, let's just take it up one ante. Can I take it up one a little bit? Child comes home, comes home. You did everything. You took him shopping that day. You took him here. You took him to the friends. Back and forth to play the, 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 the whole day you're busy with the kid. They come home, they smoke some cigarettes, and they're giving you attitude. And then they're after saying, Tab, do me a favor. Can you go get me supper now? What does them smoking cigarettes have for you? Here's the thing also. I, I, I didn't get into it before, but when you change how you behave towards your child because of how they behave, right? Look, it's perfectly acceptable to let your child know that you're disappointed in their behavior. 
But when you become upset, you're now undermining your child's ability to feel calm and in control because they can now push you to become angry. That's way too much power for that child to feel that he wields over you. Rabbi Yitzchak Berkowitz uh, says that a parent should never uh, express that they're angry towards a child because of something the child did. Again, disappointment, fine. That's the child know it's unacceptable. But the fact that they can knock you off your emotional perch and now you're going to be resentful, is that what you want to teach them when you do something and that maybe you knocked into them or you that you want them to be resentful towards you because you made a mistake or you didn't live up to their expectations? No, of course not. Again, what have you done for the... You always want to ask yourself, is this going to help the relationship or hurt the relationship? So no, when that child asks for dinner, if you would have typically have done it any other time, of course. The way you influence your child, by the way, is through unconditioned... If children are entirely egocentric and they see themselves through the parent's lens, then the more love and acceptance you give them, the healthier and whole they are. The more healthier and whole they are, the more they're going to make responsible decisions. So why on earth would you undermine that by... Uh, being frustrated, resentful, and, and angry towards a child and sort of, you know, a take revenge in some small way because they're not behaving the way that you want them to. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Logically, logically makes sense. How no, does I mean, a parent... How does a parent do it? How does a parent do it when their child, the children Good. are not behaving, but you Good. want to give them the unconditional love? How to do it. Good, look. I recognize we're all human beings and you know your children may not always live up to your expectations. I'd encourage you to dial down your ex expectations and you'll solve that problem. But at least intellectually understand, I had this conversation with people in office time and again, amazing, great, caring, well-intentioned parents. Their approach stinks. They think that by putting the noose on tighter, showing their dissatisfaction, showing what the child is getting wrong, it's gonna correct the behavior. It doesn't. And once that, parent realizes that all the energy they're putting into is going down the toilet it's it's counterproductive it's not just wasted it's counterproductive they realize look what they've been doing hasn't been working at the very least try a different approach and in the moment walk yourself through the different scenarios but do your best not to unleash not to be resentful treat the child exactly as they would you would otherwise and that's it and by the way sometimes there's never a reason to bring it up but I will tell you that in the moment, if you're angry, it's not going to be a productive conversation, but you already know that from your own experience. Okay. Dr. David, we have so many live questions. Let's, let's keep on going over. Okay. You're on. You're live. Okay. Um, how should someone deal with the emotional roller coaster when they're doing real work and quote unquote training unhealthy people to interact with you in a healthy way? And specifically when it's a parent or a sibling, it almost seems that the battle, that it's more difficult than what you're battling against. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good question. So what she's asking is that, look, you know, let's say this woman, make sure I got this question right, please. You know, you're, you're, you're speaking to a therapist, someone's guiding you, how to assert yourself, express yourself, set boundaries. But doing all of that, end of the day, sometimes it just makes your life easier by giving in. Is that what you're asking? Yeah, and even if right. you do give in, just, holding back. Right. So here's the thing. It's all about whether or not you feel you have the ability to do it. Meaning that chesed is you can choose to say yes, you can choose to say no, and you choose to say yes. If a person strong arms you into doing something, 
um, you're not really giving as much as being robbed. So it's be giving a donation and being robbed. In both cases, $1,000 going out of your pocket. One case, you're giving a donation. It's very empowering. You're choosing to give. The other, right, is very unempowering and, and debilitating. You're being robbed of the money. Same, same scenario insofar as you're at $1,000, but one you're choosing to give, the other you're being robbed. So when you're in a situation that you can choose to express how you feel and you want to, but you're deciding not to, because at the end of the day, it's better for you than Kolokovod. I get why strategically it makes sense not to make every battle into a, a, a raging war. At the same time, when there are those times when it makes sense to assert yourself, express how you feel, to draw that boundary line that you're working hard on, and to deal with that onslaught, but the net gain is going to be positive, then go ahead and take that stance. But it is off given but um, poor advice that you should always set the same boundaries, the same time, the same situation for everyone. And, and even though consistency, and again, consistency is important um, in some arenas, but because you're the one paying the price here, you wanna always ask yourself, is it worth it to pay this price? And quite frankly, when you're dealing with difficult personalities, sometimes it is better to give in, call it a day, but you still have to be able to, to make that as a choice and not feel as that that person is robbing you or taking something from you that you're not freely giving. Does that make, does that make sense? Thanks. Yes, very powerful. Okay, let's go to the next, let's go to the next live question. He's on already. Go, you're on. Hi, um, my father passed away six months ago. All of a sudden he just um, had a heart attack middle of the night and I actually saw him die when he was being resuscitated. For two months, I was just, you know, um, rationalizing, no, he had diabetes, he had a hard life. My mom also has bipolar disorder. She didn't treat him well. But then um, for the past four months, I've had very, very bad depersonalization, which means that my life is just one big fog. My life is a big fog and I'm not here at all ever myself. I'm not here. I'm sure you know what depersonalization means. I'm not here. Like I'm, I'm here, but I'm not here. So I've gone to doctors, I've gone to rabbis, nobody can heal me. I want to know what Dr. Lieberman has to say. David, let's go. Healer. So I'll, I'll, sh I'll share with you something uh, from my own uh, life. Um, about three months ago, my brother was Nefter. And um, my daughter was talking with my wife, my young daughter, uh, she's uh, 10. And she said, you know, if uncle so-and-so had gotten this treatment, you know, the monoclonal treatment, whatever, you know, he'd be fine. I'm sorry, my wife said that to my daughter. And my daughter said, no, if it was his time to go, it was his time to go. Yeah. So what you're experiencing here is, you know, no surprise trauma. And when a person experiences any type of pain, physical, emotional, spiritual pain, one of the ways that, the, that we protect ourselves is to depersonalize. Sometimes a person, let's say a person is experiencing, you know, some sort of a, a assault, they will, they, they, they will float away and almost um, be as if they're not in their physical bodies because the intensity is just too great. So here too, when a person experiences a trauma, it is perfectly normal, by the way, it's perfectly natural to sort of depersonalize it to, um, to, to separate yourself out as a way of, uh, as a shock absorber to avoid feeling that pain. Um, have you been to a trauma specialist? No, I've just been to a psychologist, psychiatrist. Right, right. so here's the thing. Um, when, when it, look, in much the same way when it comes to medicine, 
you know, we have people who specialize. If you have an issue with a heart, you don't go to an internist, you go to a cardiologist. And maybe specifically a certain person specializes in valves and so on. It, and too with psychology, uh, I, I encourage people to, you know, to try to find somebody who specializes in this particular area because they see and they deal with it inside and out. So when it comes to trauma, there are a lot of fantastic, actually cutting edge trauma therapies. I would encourage you to find a trauma specialist. And I do think you seem like a, a fantastically introspective person. Um, but I, I think this is something you can work through more quickly than you might imagine with the right type of therapist. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Okay, they have like one or two more. I know it's late. Let's try to hop around. Is that okay with you? Yes. Okay. Hi, sorry, you're on. Hey, hi. Um, yeah, you might have answered some of my questions, but I've noticed that with dealing, you know, having to deal with certain personalities, I just is certain pattern, like certain types attract each other. Like I'm an intense person. I might be like be around other intense people. I get frustrated if I don't, and that could present, you know certain you know obviously certain problems and interactions or you get case of depressive people that can be, be around other depressives uh, a friend of mine for, uh, for example went through a horrible divorce and Brooke Hashem got remarried and you're very happy when she said to me I broke the pattern you know I, whatever that means so how do you really break the pattern is it changing the way you are the way you think I mean, right that's such a beautiful question we don't attract what we are. We attract, excuse me, we don't attract what we want. We attract who we are. Um, so if you want to be around more positive, lighthearted, um, encouraging people, that is something that you want to help manifest in yourself. And you'll see that you will draw other people uh, who are like-minded to you. Um, and, you know, there's something in, in, in physiology, it's part of the brain called the reticular activating system. It's located right here in the brainstem, the regional luz bone, interestingly enough. And it acts as a filtering mechanism, so it's sort of an antenna, and it hones in on whatever it is we deem important. So, for example, you know, you may be thinking of, you know, getting a new pair of glasses or new shoes or a new car, and suddenly you see that on the road or see that and you're talking to the people, not because there are more in the world, but because that's your focus. So <clears throat> when it comes to uh, these types of things, I would encourage you to put your focus on it. In other words, say to yourself, I'm going to look for the positivity in this person, in this conversation. I'm gonna look for the beauty in what I experience in this next room or in these next, next min 10 minutes. Put your focus on what it is you want to experience. You will become that kind of person and in becoming that kind of person, you will attract more of that. But it's very hard. Does that make sense to you, by the way, so far? Yeah, yeah, sort of, yeah. I mean, yeah, I okay. find my own fight. Yeah, I focus on certain things and Right. Again, you, what, what, whatever it is you put your focus on is what you're going to see. Right. So, for example, um, you know, there's, there's a great uh, illustration of this. You, you give a person a white sheet of paper with a couple black dots. You ask them what they see. Nine out of ten people see. I see black dots. But what about all the white paper? What about the entire space? Much more of it is the white, but we focus in on the black. That's where our eye goes. So in much the same way in our world, in our lives, in ourselves, in our friends, look for the good, expect to see the good, bring out the good, you will become more of that. And then in doing so, you'll attract more of what you want and who you are. Okay? That's good to know. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Dave, we're going to go to closing now. It's getting late. We have a lot more questions we didn't cover. So obviously, we need a part two. We're going to, get, well, we're going to have to bring you back. 
So we'll share 68. We'll bring him back by 136, right? Should be fine. Every 68 year. Okay, let's go to closing. And uh, we'll close. And then Menachem and you will close afterwards. Like Ben, I want to first give a big, big shkoya. Thank you to Dr. David Lieberman for coming on here tonight, giving so much physics, so much real practical advice. I feel like we like touched a little bit of every subject, but you know, so much more core that we didn't even like get close to. Um, but really appreciate it. Uh, people are texting. They, you know, still more questions. They really want to hear more from you. Again, for anybody who's here for the first time, every Sunday night at 10 o'clock on this Zoom ID, we have different shirim, different topics. And I advise you to please tell your friends, let people know about it. Baruch Hashem, the tremendous chizik. Tonight's show was sponsored by Recovery at the Crossroads. Recovery at the Crossroads is the only kosher inpatient treatment center in the tri-state area. They're a licensed co-occurring treatment facility, which means they're licensed to not only treat substance abuse, but also any under, uh, underlying mental health conditions such as anxiety, depression, trauma. If you or anybody you know is struggling with an addiction, please feel free to reach out to them. The number is 888-466-5950, 888-466-5950. Again, next Sunday, August 15th, we have a surprise guest. We did not give the information. We're withholding it from you. As soon as we know it and it's confirmed, we will let you know. Um, but it's going to be an amazing program, as it usually is. Please join. It should be powerful. Um, and again, everything tonight is recorded. It's going to be available tomorrow on www.menachembernfeld.com. Um, and all the other platforms that we posted on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and YouTube. And um, Dr. will upload on the Dr. Dave Lieberman Torah anytime, Shirim. And um, you can listen to all Shirim over there. If anybody has any questions or anything with Dr. Lieberman, please feel free to call him on his cell phone. His number is, I'm just joking. Email Coach Menachem at, <laughs> email Coach Menachem at gmail.com um, and we'll forward it to him. Again, tonight's share is share number 68. Um, if everybody wants to hear it on our phone number, you can call Kalalashan or our personal number is 848-777-GROW, G-R-O-W. And I want to thank our advertising sponsors over here at the Lakewood Scoop, Rabbi and Yenifu Chazak. Uh, special thank you to Chayla Kaufman and Shmu Summer from JCN for always promoting us on all the digital platforms. So right before we go to closing, just two things, Dr. Lieberman. First of all, can you tell us about our, this Saturday night share that you do every month of Shabbos? Yes, Moti Shabbos with our Rabbi David Goldwasser. Moti Shabbos and, uh, and, and Rabbi, it's fantastic. We talk about different relationship issues and questions that come up. And it's about uh, 30 minutes, Moti Shabbos. And they can check it out live at chazak.com, maybe, or on tour anytime for sure. And the second question I ask you, Dr. Lieberman, now that it's your first time you're here and you see so many people that came on on a Sunday night, 12 o'clock at night, had it tonight, probably over two, 3,000 people. What do you say about that? So many people that want to come on a Sunday night to, to grow. What's, 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 your, what's your uh, take on it? It's extraordinary. And you know, the, the, the people that are coming out and spending their time to learn how to have happier, healthy relationships are just so far and way ahead, unfortunately, of those who have simply just resigned themselves to just, this is how it is. Because it doesn't have to be how it is. One person, you know, they say it takes two to tango, but a relationship, one person can make a very big, profound difference in the relationship itself, but certainly in the quality of our own lives. And by changing the quality of relationships, we, by de facto, improve the quality of our own emotional health and the quality of our lives. Okay, beautiful. So that, Coach Menachem, will go to closing words. Dr. David, if you want to leave us with words of inspiration, physical story, anything, Coach Menachem. Thank you, Dr. David Lieberman. I feel like tonight we've covered a lot and we'll, we'll have to listen to a lot of topics. Uh, it's similar to the book that I read, The Free Will Works, that when I discuss it with other people, the book that you wrote, each page is a book for itself. There's so much information, so much going on there that if you read it like a book, like page after page, you're not really getting it. You have to take one page and stop, meditate, 
understand. So I feel like we've done a lot of it tonight also, a lot of information. And uh, just like we mentioned, a lot of the information itself, it takes time till we understand the boundaries, understand what's our uh, responsibilities. And all of that is the work. That's exactly the work we're looking for. And then all I can say is a bracha for all those that need it. And we all need it to a certain extent to uh, understand and we should be able to implement what we learn. And uh, thank you again. Thank right, you. Right before you go to your closing, I just want to say one thing. You know, yeah. you, when you listen like on Spotify or Audible, you're doing like, you know, one times five times two, you know, speed. But you, we have to do the other way. We have to do like <laughs> minus one, minus two, minus two, just to hear it slowly and clearly and get it in our brain. But anyway, Dr. Lieberman, please leave us with Divrei Chizik. Give us a bracha. Let's go. You know, I, I, I was just quickly, I was speaking in uh, Mexico City and um, I, I don't speak Spanish fluently. And so everyone had uh, the headsets translating. My translator was a head translator. There were five translators for Vicente Fox, the president at the time. She was a head translator. And during the break, she said, can you just please slow down? <laughs> I was like, wow, okay. I got to learn how to do that better. Uh, so look, it's like this. Imagine you're at a wedding and somebody comes over and they start screaming and yelling at you and a big crowd is forming around and you're just feeling so embarrassed. This guy's yelling, calling you a thief, a gun, an awful person. But then in the middle of his diatribe, he calls you by the wrong name. And in that moment, you realize it's the case of mistaken identity and you and everyone around you realizes he's yelling and screaming at the wrong guy. Instantly, our pain evaporates and we're thinking, well, wow. Yol Gold, the Rabbi Cron uh, is the Rabbi Kron, They're going to talk about me in the next story about the guy who got yelled at, the Hassan, and didn't respond. Right? You go from this bush and shame to feeling bad for this poor guy, only because you realize he's got the wrong person. When somebody is yelling and screaming at you, if somebody doesn't treat you politely, they've got the wrong guy. You don't have to make it about you. It's not about you, even if they're talking to you. When we say not make it about you, it means you don't have to take it personally. You can ask yourself, this person's in pain. Let me see through the lens. What did I do that might've contributed towards that? But the minute you assume they're treating you this way because there's something broken, bad, or defective within you, and they, it's because they don't respect you, they don't love you, they don't care about you, you're going to find yourself uh, behind the eight ball and very difficult now to switch perspectives. If someone's mean at you, we treat other people based on how we feel about ourselves. A person's inability to give you the love and respect and attention that you deserve is a reflection on them. It speaks volumes of their emotional health, but says nothing about you. Don't make it about you if it's not about you. Wow. Beautiful, Dr. Lieberman. Good night. Thank you so much for coming. Everybody, thanks for coming tonight. We'll see you next week, Sunday night, same time, same place. Thank you. Good night, everybody. Good night. Thank you. Hi, it's Coach Menachem here. If you enjoyed, please consider supporting us with a small monthly, monthly donation to help sustain the future episodes. And it will be greatly appreciated. Thank you in advance.